This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 96 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we get a little lengthy. There is a ton of stuff to discuss. We talk about the 100th episode coming up. We talk about drum mixing. We talk about 50 years of rock, discussing our favorite classic rock drummers and recordings of all time. Then we move down the buffet line all the way to the end where the desserts are. That's where Mike will be checking out some UFIP class and Vibra Series symbols. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always we'll give you our picks of the week so let's get started so funny how are you man <laughs> doing well so uh we got a, a criticism no more talks about the weather that's out no more we're done oh no I, it's <laughs> raining today and i was like you probably have a better day than me i was so excited to talk about the weather All i'm right, not going to talk about it anymore and, do- and dogs is getting questionable i think okay so <laughs> I would say in 2018, we're going to have to ban some things. So, first of all, I'm sorry, Mark Juliana. It's over. Yeah, we can't yeah. say your name You're anymore. You're done. You're dead to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I have a camp coming up in Ireland with Ash Sohn and a dead guy. And it's some all, other it's guy. It's going to be awesome. It's some... Weekend at Bernie's. It's going to be killer. We're just going to pull him around. <laughs> okay, so weather's out. Dogs are getting questionable. Yeah, Mark's yeah. got to go. So we got to uh, get straight into the drum stuff is, is what I... No, actually... We did have. I do appreciate the criticisms we get. We don't get a ton of criticism, so when we get them, I take them seriously. We just got some absolutely you know, every once in a while email. Just hey, largely people like it when we kind of go off the beaten path. And mm-hmm. I think last week I I was a little nervous about leaving in the whole LeBron James segment, and overwhelmingly the response was great. So I appreciate cool. everyone letting us kind of go down that path. Yeah, I was uh, when it came out of my mouth. I was like, "Oh God, this is this is what people get fired for." I can't get fired, but still, this is people lose their jobs over talking about these topics. It's I tough know. to talk about, and I've never listened more carefully during the editing process. But I, I oh, think I we bet. we did what we had to do, and I appreciate everyone giving us a chance to just kind of air our opinions on that. But yeah, no more weather. You know, it's it's over. We're done with hey. the weather. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Compared to Antarctica, both of us are lucky. So let's just <laughs> shut the hell up. I'm but, with you, man. But it's episode 96, which means we have to uh, announce our big giveaway. We've got four weeks to lead up to 100, and we have so much stuff to give away. So what I wanted to do was each week we're going to give the listeners a word of the week at the end of the show. You email that word. You and email that word over to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. That puts you in the pool. And then in episode 100, we will pull three lucky winners. Um, so should we go through the prizes? Should we go ahead and We should go through the fact it? that I've never been more proud of a full-page ad in my life. I was <laughs> flipping through the New Modern Drummer, and I was like, that's a killer gift. Wait a minute. That giveaway is so for our ours. podcast. <laughs> I was so stoked. I was like, I want to win that drum. And oh, that's, it's, it, was, it was really cool to see that. So, um, yeah, so bring it up. All right, so grand prize winner will be a Modern Drummer limited edition 40th anniversary 5.5 by 14 single ply maple snare drum, which we only have a couple left, and when these are gone, they're gone. So these are you know one year available only, so you're going to get one of just a few dozen that were ever made. 
And there's um, a good chance that I played it because you made me send that one back. Yes, yeah, good chance. <laughs> uh, that really that was a that was a painful trip to UPS. <laughs> so that would be the grand prize winner plus a one year subscription to Modern Drummer and a one year subscription to your site. And yes. then the second prize, thanks to our friends at Aquarian, they are donating a complete set of super pad practice mutes. And so you'll, the second prize winner will get that, plus the free subscriptions to Modern Drummer and Mike'sLessons.com. And then the third package is from our friends over at Vader. They have sent a, or they're going to be sending a Vader stick bag that's got 36 pairs of sticks of the winner's choice, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, a stick holder, some buzzkill dampener pads, um, a pair of monster brushes, a pair of splash sticks, and you get the free subscriptions of Modern Drummer and Mike'sLessons.com. So Man. at some point at the end of the show, we'll say that's the word and we'll we'll say it and just email mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. It's not a – it'll be a totally random drawing, so it doesn't matter if you're first or last. Just make sure you get in your word uh, prior to episode 100 because we will be drawing them that day. So and that, then you guys have like a randomizer generator thing that picks the winners? Yep. I'm going to put everyone's name and email into an Excel sheet and randomize it, and then we're going to pick numbers. Oh, cool. Very cool. I like it. Yep. That's awesome. That's really cool, too, that Vader's also letting the winner pick their sticks. Yeah. Because Very cool. that's kind of the thing. Like, oh, you get 200 pairs of 5As. And it's like, <laughs> but I don't play 5As. You so know, now what do I do? <laughs> I won... Um, a brick of Promark sticks at one of those drum competitions. I think it was Mars Music or something. And it happened to be the Will Kennedy signature stick. Okay. And it ended up being like my favorite stick for like five years in a row. So it changed, yeah. So, so the uh, randomness okay. of it was pretty cool. And I actually had, see, I did that contest probably in 10th grade and I still had sticks up until I graduated college from that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome. regardless, Vader is giving away, you can go to, you know, choose whatever you like or you could ask us for suggestions or you could just right. go with you know a pair of the mike johnson signature sticks or whatever whatever but, uh, i don't they're not going to let you mix and match it's just going to be one sure. type of stick but either way that's but i think that's awesome, awesome. That, yeah, that, so these that are, will literally last uh, even a heavy hitter that's 36 pairs that's going to last them for at least a year and if you're if you if you're a little more economic with your playing you're going to that's going to last you three or four years so it's yeah. awesome yes yeah, so it's super exciting um, i'm pretty stoked and again thanks everyone for listening making this random show that we decided i don't know on a dinner at nam into a <laughs> a weekly obligation <laughs> that's been yeah cool. and uh, uh based off the numbers you send me a a highly listened to weekly obligation so yeah, it's, it's it's actually awesome. been pretty fun by the way uh you know those super pads I don't know if you've ever researched. Have you? You haven't had a chance to test them, have you? Or have you? I mean, I hit them in Nam, but it's like the okay. absolute worst place to hit a practice. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. So I was. I, I called Chris Brady yesterday, and I said, "Hey, man, um, wanted to talk about these because I use them on my kit out of choice. You know, I think everyone is probably well aware that I have Pro Logics pads, and I have old Real Feel pads. I'm a I'm a pad collector. I love practice pads. I don't know why. I just think they're cool. Yeah. So I have everything in the world. So I'm not, even though I'm an Aquarian artist, I'm not overly loyal to their practice pads. I play their heads. So anyways, I asked him, I said, look, I'm playing these on my kit nonstop, and I actually play them on my kit more than I play my kit without them. I'm, I'm quite used to them. I like them. And I'm finding that the transfer from those to my drum set is working just fine for me, where mm. sometimes that's not the case, right? So, yeah, yeah. But, so I asked him, I said, hey, they're kind of expensive, like, yeah. uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. They're not the cheapest. Why? And it was really cool. He went through every single thing that's on that pad and said, he's like, we kind of, it was, it was almost like the Elon Musk with the Model X thing where he's like, we kind of overbuilt this. Uh, sorry yeah. about that. But yeah. uh, so they said, look, what happened was 
there's a rubber gasket around the edges. That's what holds it into the drum. Now, we can pay 20 cents for a cheap rubber gasket, or we can pay $1.50 for the expensive one. Our thought was, well, if we get the cheap one, you're going to come back to us in six months and be upset. So we went that route. Uh And then there's this part and this part. And he he went through the whole thing. There's like 20 pieces that make up that pad. And they, he's like, we did it to ourselves. We just kept saying, well, we might as well do the best material you can. So, uh, they're really built to last, you know, with proper playing, obviously you can destroy anything, but it was, it was, it was nice to find out that it wasn't profit driven. He wasn't like, yeah, those cost us a buck. I don't know. We just (laughs) jacked the prices up. Uh, which I would never expect from any company, but it was nice to know. Like when he broke down what went into it, I was like, "Wow, okay, that totally makes sense." Yeah. Um, not to mention the drum industry. If you think about the drum industry ordering rubber parts from any manufacturer, it's going to be small compared to a car manufacturer that's going to order twenty million pieces, right? And the drum industry is going to order five thousand. So yeah. it it all made sense. And then I was I was actually more excited when I got home. I was like, "Wow, let me!" And I started taking it and looking at all everything that went into it. It was pretty cool stuff. So you guys will receive a full set of those if you get the second prize. Um, yes. All right. So no weather, no dogs. No weather, Mark's no dogs. out. Mark's Let's out. talk about the other one. Uh, dude, you got reposted by Ash Sohn today. Uh, How yeah. cool was that? <laughs> He's so nice. He's such a kind How did it man. feel to have like 26,000 views in eight seconds? That was so cool, I didn't man. even know what was going on. I'm like, what happened? Why... Why is why am I <laughs> seeing a comment on a post that I'm not seeing on my post? Like, what the heck happened? Because that's never I've never had anyone do that. It was weird, right? It was yeah. cool. Yeah, no, that Ash was really is, cool. He's such a nice guy. He's so supportive. I mean, I was just trying to do my yeah. best Ash Stone impression this morning, playing a an inverted halftime shuffle. But I mean, that guy's so slick. I'm like, I oh. he, he almost makes it sound inhuman. Like, there's no way he's doing that. So that's kind of Man. the quest for me is to do the halftime well, shuffle to make it sound like that. You know what's crazy is before I ever hung out with him or got to know him, I really did think like, okay, well, I could probably do that if I was at your studio on your kit with your mics and your setup. I could probably do that. And then to see him do it in person, and I'm in the room, so there's nothing yeah. except for the natural air, and it sounds almost exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. It was that Steve Jordan thing that you talk about. Like I, I went over to his drum set, and I was like, this thing sounds horrible. Yeah. Like <laughs> Because he tunes for mics. He's a studio musician. He tunes for mics. But when he played it, it was so incredible. So, yeah, Yeah. he's got the touch, man. I mean, there's a reason. He didn't luck into the gigs he has. He didn't luck into the sessions he gets that he's needed uh, because the producer needs that sound. And they have a few options of people in the world that can get it. You know, it's it's especially watching the NBA finals right now. It really reminds me when I see greatness on the court with LeBron trying to keep up with KD and and Steph and and (laughs) The, the super team that LeBron created by going to Miami. He allowed yeah. this all to happen. So, But when I see that, then I think of it, I'm always thinking in drum terms. And I'm like, wow, you know, we do have, we're living in a great moment right now. We have some incredible players that will someday go down in history as some of the best players to ever play. But the problem is we're in it and we're friends with them. So we kind of take it for granted. Yeah. You know? And there's so, um, there's so many. It's, it's, it is actually very similar to the NBA. Like KD could be arguably be the greatest basketball player of all time but he's playing at the same time as lebron james and all these other guys i mean the guy's seven feet tall and he plays like a point guard like a point guard yeah and and i'm watching lebron and he's about to lose what his fifth title and i'm just thinking if you played in any other time besides right now and michael jordan's time 
you'd have you know like All ten titles. You'd be yeah. yeah. You'd be you'd be Russell, but. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's just when you play. I mean, think about all the golfers that had to play with Tiger when he was on fire. I and know. it was just like, hey, babe, yeah, second place. Yep. <laughs> yeah, second again. Yeah, Tiger won. All right. Love you, too. Coming home with six million. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, but we're very lucky to have the time that we have. I scroll through my feed and I'm just like, gosh, some of these guys. I mean, there's obviously the Instagram crew of just guys that they live on Instagram. Yep. It's fine. It is a medium right now. And I want to talk to you about that next week. I want to make that a topic, and I want to talk about what you and I value in a modern drummer. What do we think is like, mm. like, is it enough to just be huge on Instagram? But we have that crew, and then we have the crew that is showing us what they're actually doing. They just show it to us on Instagram. Like, hey, I'm in, this, I'm in a session with Pino Palladino. Yeah, and you yeah. see it on Instagram, and that's a different level to me. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then there's the people like, uh, say Shannon Forrest that are too busy doing the real stuff. They couldn't show you anyways. They, know, there's no time. <laughs> What's you know, that? Whenever I see Near Z posted on Instagram, I start drooling like, oh, finally he's got a clip right. of something because he anything. It's like yeah. once every three months he'll have like a ten second clip of him in the studio. I'm like, yes, that's all I need. That took me back to the days of like getting a bootleg VHS of seeing Vinnie Caiuta play. Like, yes, it's right. all. It's all glitchy, but I can still grab something that that something guy something. Has yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, man. I, yeah. I'm totally with you. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll talk about that next time. For now, let's get into some fun stuff. So I think this is a source of passion for a lot of drummers. Definitely a source of frustration for all drummers, and it's something that I think young drummers. And when I say young, I'm always referring to how long you've played. I'm never referring to your age. But I think young drummers wonder. Do I need to know this stuff? And I'm talking about drum mixing. So mixing your drum set. Now, yeah. do you consider, when you when you have drum mixing, do you consider tracking as part of that? No, let's let's take okay. that out of the equation. So we, okay. we've, let's take we've mic already placement. Tracked. Yeah, mic placement, all that stuff is done. So we've got our recordings. What can we do to make them not sound like a blurry, woofy mess? <laughs> okay. I, like I think, What I think the first point to make is, the microphones don't lie. So right. the first step is if you're hearing something in the drumming that's funky, then you've got to fix that first. But we're just talking about the actual sonics of it. Okay. Like I, I recorded a bunch of microphones. It just sounds cloudy and wolfy. What's happening? How do I make it sound like And you want to normal? say that we had one mic per drum and two overheads? Yeah, sure. Yep. Just a standard yeah, nothing, setup. Nothing crazy. So cool. just <laughs> overhead, snare drum, kick drum, let's, let's, and toms. So, yeah. Yeah, every drum every drum gets a mic, and then we have two overheads that we can pan if we want to. Yeah. Okay. So let's start there. Do you mix in stereo? Uh, nine times out of ten. All of my okay. Instagram posts are actually mono because I'm going straight into right. my iPhone. So that's that's more like mastering. It's still mixing, but it's more like mastering. I've just got the mix. I've got my effects creating all kinds of weirdness, and I've got my drum right. sound all mixed in the one track, and then I've got to go in and somehow surgically make it sound like something. Right. That's different. If I'm doing a drum recording, it's always in stereo. And the overheads okay. are, are panned. I actually pan hard left and right. I know that's not what most people do, but I keep my overheads um, in an XY configuration so they're not super gotcha. spread out to begin with. Will you explain to them what that means? Yeah, so the capsules are 90 degrees, roughly 90 degrees, um, pointed at each other. So they're the the mic that's over my hi-hat side of it, it's over the, here we go, I'm getting the, unable to explain something. The overheads are directly <laughs> over the bass drum pedal, maybe two feet over my head, maybe. Right. Uh, 
the capsules are right next to each other. One is pointed at the ride symbol side, and the other one is pointed at the hi hat side. Right, but I think the opposite. What, right, and I think what's different about them is the fact that you're not. It's not the setup that we're used to seeing, where you have your two overheads really spread out by like four feet, and yeah. the left one is over the crash and the right one is over your furthest crash or your ride and i think um, of that as symbol miking rather than overheads right so if you spread gotcha. those pan hard left hard right you're going to hear your hi-hat like out in left field and your floor time is going to be out in the other side so when the capsules are next to each other so the mic that's actually over my left side is aimed at the ride symbol and the mic that's over my right side the ride symbol is aimed at the hi-hat so they're making a 90 degree angle kind of overlapping each other okay so you pan you pan your overheads hard left and right and then what yeah. about do you pan uh your rack tom to the left and your floor tom to the right well that's what i use the overhead for so i bring up okay. the overheads and then when they're panned hard left and hard right i locate where is the tom sitting in the stereo spread between those two mics and then i try to pan the toms accordingly so it matches up so if you're if mm-hmm. you're just soloing the overheads and you hear the rack tom is just slightly to the left then i'll just pan it slightly to the left the floor tom is a little that's bit right. more to the right i'll pan it a little bit more to the right okay snare drum Usually dead center, sometimes just slightly to the left, just depending on how the overheads sound. So I use the overheads as my my canvas. Okay. Uh, So that's the general panning. Um, Kick drum straight up the middle. Um, Yeah, so that's basic panning. And then leveling, I do the same thing. I use the overheads to give me the overall sound. So I bring that up to I'm hitting like negative 15 dB on my my mixer. Okay. And then I just bring up each uh, close mic just to the point where it makes it sound fuller. I don't go so far that it becomes like the snare drum is now the loudest thing. I just bring it okay. up to where I, it's it's almost if I muted the close mics, you wouldn't really hear that they were gone. It would just lose that fullness. Yeah, you right? just lose the body. you feel it, you wouldn't yeah. hear it. Exactly. Gotcha. And it, maybe the kick drum gets pushed up a little bit further because there's not much kick drum in the overheads to begin with. But you're but, not doing the opposite, which a lot of people do, which is all close mics up and then you bring in a little overhead to give it some air you're doing yeah you're not doing that yeah that's more of that like um it sounds like you're in a padded room kind of a sound yeah it's, it's it actually translates it translates great for instagram because you don't have all the the ambience but it doesn't right. sound as natural to me sure that's what i favor i favor more of an overhead full drum kit mix and then bring the close mics just to punch up each instrument I'm, yeah that's why yeah, I'm, I'm with you yeah but you're just on Eat. one overhead now I am, yeah, I'm doing one overhead, and then that same mic is in front of my bass drum, not in my bass drum. Um, so I really have two mics. and But even with that, it's the same thing. Like, you can hear my kick fine with that one overhead as far as the attack and the placement and everything. You just can't feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bring it up. Uh, I bring up the bass drum microphone a little bit. But when I did do close mics, uh, you can even check out my old, old – if you ever see me playing a DW drum set on YouTube – guaranteed that is all close mics mm. and maybe honestly maybe no overheads yeah, no okay. room mic- like it's just in your face because that was the youtube sound yeah exactly. um, we all learned how to mix in that generation on youtube and so once you just have no overheads it's like uh this sounds awesome <laughs> it doesn't at all but you think that because you can hear everything it's very direct especially yeah. if you're chopping it up and that's what those early YouTube videos were. They were all blazing licks. Well, yeah. when you have no overheads, there's nothing to muddy up the sound. You hear every single note, and then it's gone. Yeah. Um, especially if you compress the hell out of everything. Then it's, it's just... It just sounds like an electronic kit, though. Like It does, exactly. My biggest problem with electronic kits is it just it's like so pinpoint accurate and separated. It sounds like six instruments rather than a drum set. 
which yeah, isn't I, my you favorite know, mix. It's tough. You have to, if you're going to sample drums for an electric kit, you have to. Uh, I, I remember somebody sent me samples. I can't remember if it was Gretsch or DW. Somebody sent me samples that they had done for a library. And I was like, did you record this Tom in a studio by itself? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, Toms don't sound like that. Like, no one hits a Tom 16 feet away from their kit. I'm like, you should have it no, on the kit. Funny. So, like, when I hit my rack Tom, my floor Tom makes a lot of noise. I yeah. mean, you can, you can solo the floor Tom channel and hit the kick, and you'll hear a lot of floor Tom, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, I, that's what gives it life. Okay, so we have that going on. Now, you have all those mics. How do you mix to get rid of it just sounding like a bunch of muddy garbage yeah i think for me it's essentially three moves that i do on every drum uh, let's see one two two three or four moves i do on every drum pretty consistently okay. so i i sweep or i grab a eq and i i boost it all the way up so i can hear that frequency super loud i sweep around until i find the fundamental pitch of that drum okay which depending on the size of the drum it could be lower or higher but then i just boost that a little bit 3 db just to kind of give mm-hmm. that drum a fuller sound presence yep so bass drum is going to be lower in the 60 range toms is going to be a little bit higher so i do that and then i do the same thing but i try to find the nastiest frequency yeah. that i can find which is usually Such an important step 250 350 somewhere 500 there's there's stuff like really grossness there <laughs> so that comes down maybe 3 db maybe more just depending on the drum Mm-hmm. Um, so that's move number two. Move number three is I sweep around and try to find what in the higher end gives me just extra clarity a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I can yeah. hear the stick actually hitting the mylar. And I'll boost that a few dB. And that generally gives me a more natural sound. It's really getting rid of that low-mid stuff. The muddiness. Yeah, that's the stuff yeah. that just makes – and I really think it's proximity effect. The microphones are close to the drums. They're picking up all the sustain that you can't actually hear. So getting rid of all that. And I do that in everything. Overheads, snare drum mic, tom yeah, mic, bass drum mic. It's just there's gonna be different frequency spots for each drum, but right. just those three moves in general. And then the overheads, I might do a high shelf to just kind of bring some air into the cymbal sound up around and it could be anywhere from five to ten K somewhere up there. Yeah, overheads it. are something I don't think people realize until they've done it a lot that you really don't do much with them. You know, they yeah. They they already because like you mentioned their distance they kind of have that natural sound and once you start messing with them a lot then you lose the whole reason they're there yeah and yep. so I, I'm with you yeah I mean depending on what I have found though is really cheap large uh, diaphragm condensers like if you get the ninety nine dollar Audix Audio Technica sure they actually are very high endy they're very sizzly and yeah. so you usually harsh. have to back off yeah. yeah they're harsh you have to back off a little high end but in a good overhead I'm with you I usually boost. Anywhere between 2 to 6K is probably yeah. what I'm going to bring up just a tiny bit just to give a little more air. Um, and then it's pretty rare. If it's a good overhead, I usually don't have to cut a lot of mids. Um, I can kind of hang in there with it. Sometimes I'll cut low end. Do you ever do that? Yes. Sometimes yeah. I, I do a low, a high pass filter. So I'll, high I'll pass filter, yeah. Basically everything from, and I do that actually on a lot of drums as well, because anything below 50 just becomes rumbly noise on most drums. No one's going to hear it anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so yeah, I definitely, and a lot of times it can cut out the low end frequency that shouldn't be going into that mic anyways. So if I put, uh, a, you know, if I put it at say 45 hertz on my rack tom 
and my snare drum, it's like, okay, cool. Now, whatever bleed there was from the kick, it's not going to get that in there, which I don't yeah, want. Right. Um, so I do that. The other thing that we should mention is, you know, when you're sweeping mids and you're sweeping mids to find the crappy frequency, there might be like a really, especially if you have a high or a really narrow peak, so you're really narrowing down the specific frequencies. Let's say you find something at 275 and it's just wonky on your floor tom. Yeah. But then right around 475, you find another one. It's yeah. okay in plugins to throw on multiple EQs to yeah. take out multiple bands of harsh frequencies. You don't have to widen that peak to take out everything from. 225 yeah, to, to 500 that's, that's going to take point. out way too much and your drum's going to sound really thin so i could have maybe three plugins of the exact same plugin the same eq plugin going at the same time and then you look at me like you're not doing anything with those and it's like no like two of them aren't boosting anything they're only just taking out a little bit of this one specific frequency that's driving me nuts so yeah you can yeah. multiply the plugins for that i think a general rule is if you're cutting you can be very narrow and you can literally m- remove one frequency if you're yeah. boosting when you're boosting that's when it starts to go crazy so i would widen the q which yeah. is the, the the frequency bandwidth when right. i'm boosting and i make it really narrow when i'm cutting and that's actually one way that i i kind of judge the quality of a drum is how many how few funky spikes are there like a good a good snare drum it should have a pretty balanced spectrum there might be a few things in the mids that you need to pull out but if you're pulling out a bunch of notes then that's like all right that drum is either wrong head and it's very quick it's it's very easy to keep doing that until you realize this sounds nothing like my snare drum yeah maybe you need to find another snare drum like (laughs) if you have to do that much to it to make it sound like that then it's like then why not just have a sample you know um that's so yeah so i'm with you on that and then where do you go from there so compression compression is usually next um in general all my mics get a little bit of compression just to bring the loudest peaks down to db or so okay you know it's not it's not making a special effect it's just you know if i hit a rim shot the overheads might drop down two or three db uh just to keep it so then you can actually hear all the dynamics uh gotcha and so that is kind of, I think it's, it would be a, a slower attack, a faster release. So it just kind of hits and gets out of the way. Um, I do that with all the drums. So I can just kind of beef up the overall level of everything. Um, and I also almost always send all the mics to a separate effects return channel that I apply like heavy compression with a, with a fast attack and a slow release. So it really kind of pumps and that gives me that all that extra fatness that's not in the direct mics. So then I just bring in that channel just a little bit. So again, if I muted it, you would hear it go away. But when I unmute it, you don't realize that it's being it's there. It's just louder and fuller gotcha. sounding. That's gotcha. a, it's called parallel compression. So you're sending right. all of the channels to one compressor that's really kind of crushing it. So then you just have a big fat sound that you can kind of just beef up and that's again that's really good for translating stuff to mobile devices or small speakers because it brings up all those the the nice mids that you don't get from the right the basic recording so what happens then how much mixing do you do on the master channel once you've got all the drums and all the the individual channel channels done and do you go in and do you eq the master channel i do or do you come okay so yeah i would Yes, there's always a again a compressor or a limiter, something that I can control the overall level of, um, and then an EQ of some sort. Because again, there's going to be frequencies that build up once you throw all the mics together. 
that right. if you put that on the master channel, you can again attack something in the the two fifty range that's still just kind of not right or just out of balance. Maybe there's just too much low end. You can just pull all of it down or something. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I think of that as like if you're adjusting your car stereo. Like I just need a little more high end on everything, then I'll adjust the master EQ. Uh, and sometimes it's I just mix, way to see I only mix the master because the the individual mics don't need anything. Like when I do yeah. my uh, mono recordings for Instagram, that's only master. So it's an EQ compression. All that is applied to the master channel. Only and that's it. You can do a lot with just adding uh, EQ and compression Absolutely. to the master. Well, yeah, and drums too. It's a weird thing. Drums uh, they get a lot out of that high end in that, like I said, somewhere between two thousand and eight thousand hertz. Um, they're going to get that clarity that you're looking for, no matter yeah. which drum it is. So your so your whole kit will respond to that, and your cymbals will get sizzlier and yeah. have more air to them. And then once you bring up 60 hertz in your overall mix, your floor tom starts to sing a little bit. Yeah. Your, your kick drum kicks you in the stomach. And then once you cut out that kind of 300 to 500, all that clunk clunk, <laughs> it goes away. So so you're right. I mean, you can just mix the master channel and be pretty good you know yeah. as long as your levels are fine everything should be okay yeah um i mean that's I, what you were going to go in and do individually to each track anyways yeah right you could just save yourself the, the effort if you start with the masters that might be a good tip for, for people who aren't really experienced mixing just start with an eq on your master fader yeah and then mess around with that and see if that if that if you're still getting some weird frequencies then you got to go to the separate mics but it's also a great way to see what compression uh does because Sometimes it maybe you compress the snare, but you don't realize how much snare is coming through the overheads, but you didn't compress the overheads enough, and you don't really know why the hell do people even have compressors. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So if you compress the, the master channel, you'll compress the entire drum set, and you'll really hear it go from this live instrument, and you can just keep squashing it and squashing it all the way until it becomes a GoPro. Uh, and then yeah. it's like, oh, okay. I know. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, if I did this... And had this as its own track, and then mix this in just a little bit. Then I can get that Zeppelin sound, and mm-hmm. you know, and so yeah, it, it'll teach you a lot by doing that. Yeah, sure. and, and, and I think everyone goes through the same process of overdoing everything. So they're going to EQ way too much, and they're going to compress way too much, and it's going to wait till they hit reverb. <laughs> Once they get the reverb, they're like, "What's a plate? I'll turn that all the way up." Like, all right. like, yes, it sounds amazing, and sometimes that's fun, and and for. For my own stuff, I go crazy. I I try most very purposefully though. distortion, all kinds of stuff. Right. Uh, but you know, when I'm doing stuff for for a modern drummer, I'm trying to keep it as clean and realistic as possible. So it's a much sure. lighter touch. But I still do all of this stuff, and it's not to make the drums sound different or better. It's just to make them sound normal and real. Right. Well, guys, I think it comes down to just trying stuff out. Mike and I have said this a million times, and we're going to keep saying it, that just like tuning drums, you have to get in there and start doing it. You're never going to mess anything up by mixing a drum. You're never going to hurt anything. Your computer won't fry. So get in there and try it. Also, a a great place to start, uh, if you go to YouTube, check out a channel. Uh, It would just be youtube.com slash user slash creative sound lab. And you'll find this guy with a cute little goatee and some dreadlocks um, one thing i really like about him do you know who i'm talking about i watch all of his stuff he's yeah, gotten just, to be really good over the years yes and i think that one thing that i love about him is he's not putting in his personal flavor or his taste he's not trying to tell you how to mix like him he's giving you the information on what's technically happening when you have an overhead mic when you use compression and he does it really really well i think his personality is fantastic you never get the feeling that he's talking down to you so just uh if you need a good place to start and start learning about this stuff 
start there. Then after that, you'll start to find that, oh, man, I really like the way that you know this producer mixes or this uh, mixing engineer mixes his drums. And then you can start to find people's recipes and their, their taste. But you should at least know what's technically happening first. So Creative Sound Lab would be the place to go for that. He's a drummer too, so he's kind of got the drummer yeah. perspective. It's really yeah, cool. it's really it's really cool stuff. So, all right, well, let's get into our featured topic. And instead of having a featured drummer, we have a bunch of featured drummers. We're going to be talking about fifty years of rock. So, you guys went back to nineteen sixty seven for the current issue of Modern Drummer, yeah, and checked out some of the classic rock drummers and the recordings that really changed what we start were doing at the time. And now, and it's still left over. You know, I think of what michael miley's doing with rival sons and it's like that's that's left over from this era yeah um, i mean it's this influence 1967 is largely thought of as the birth of what we think of as rock and roll because that was the summer of love and all these bands started really taking over uh here's a pop quiz question for you oh good god which of those bands from that era put out the first album in 1967 like they were the first release of the year 1967 so i'll give you some options we've got We've got um, the Beatles, we've got the Rolling Stones, we've got the Monkees, we've got uh, the Doors, we've got Cream, mm-hmm. uh, let's, and Pink Floyd. So out of that Oof. batch of bands, who do you think was the first of 1967 to put a record out? Uh, well, I'm going to go with the obvious choice, and then you can tell me why that I'm completely wrong, but I'm going to go with the Beatles. It's a good choice because that is largely considered the album that started the the uh, sure. 1967 revolution. But it was actually The Doors. Their debut album came out on January 4th, 1967. Really? And it's interesting. Well, I think they're one of the bands that are often overlooked in this discussion. Because they didn't have a bass player. They didn't have a bass player. you got to have a bass player to, for me to consider you a band. And they weren't, <laughs> I mean, they weren't like a hippy-dippy 1960s rock band. They were pretty gnarly. I think it, Yeah, for sure. They kind of get pushed aside as kind of a more of a weirdo rock band, but they were the first record of that year, January fourth. Yeah. And I, I think, and that's the, one of the guys we actually interviewed in this issue, uh, John Dinsmore, because he's still active. Uh, and I think his drumming is really overlooked as well. I don't know if you spent much time playing door songs or listening to those records, but no, I did. I actually did. As I mean, as a kid, yeah, this stuff was you know our this was in our parents' wheelhouse, so. This was their cool music. So, yeah, I was given all of that stuff. And for me, the Doors stuff, it's funny. I I thought rock and roll was hi-hats. And then I get the Doors album, and it's just like it's all on the ride or the crash. Yeah, very jazzy. Yeah, yeah. And all of these guys, I mean, when you really listen to them, you know, if you listen to Ringo, just because he wasn't like a hard bop drummer doesn't mean the dude doesn't swing his ass off. Like, he swings those those fills in a way that it's still referred to as, hey, can you do a Ringo fill? Yeah. That's what producers say. They yeah. literally say that phrase. Uh, just do like a Ringo fill, meaning fall down the stairs. Yeah. Zadu, do, good do. Yeah, swing uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, and swing it that Ringo way where it's kind of stumbling down. He's a little bit drunk today. <laughs> and, that, and it's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, so, but yeah, definitely when I got the Doors records uh, from my parents, that's what it was. It was just like, wow, there's a lot. Of, I'm going to have to trade in my Zildjian Shimitar. Yeah. For something a little, a little washier, uh, and it, it just opened my mind to that for sure. Yeah, and that song "Break On Through" I play a lot, and that is a fast bossa nova. 
I mean, it yeah, is yeah, it's yeah. no joke to try to keep up with that one. And, that, and, yeah. and live, every band wants to play it faster than it was recorded. So you're yeah. just playing like constant six scenes with the ride cymbal. So he's one of my favorites that, that I often forget to acknowledge how kind of cool he was and, and avant-garde. And mm-hmm. you know, he was just going for it. And I, I'm pretty sure he was just kind of improvising every time they played, which is awesome for rock and wow. roll. Uh, yeah, and a strong yeah. jazz connection. I think that is the underlying theme of this this era that we just have to be careful not to forget. Is these guys were jazz drummers, so the the rock drummers that we all idolize, they were trying to sound like Elvin Jones and Buddy Rich and and Max Roach. So if right. we don't teach jazz anymore, then we're going to lose that sense of what it means to actually rock. Uh, that's a great point. And the other thing I wonder, too, is at the time, did they see themselves as forging something new or did they see themselves as like failed jazz drummers? Like, oh, we should be out there playing yeah, with Max and with Elvin, but unfortunately we're doing this thing with, you know, like, and then, and then do they have to think like, what does Miles think of Jim Morrison? Is he making fun of him? Like, yeah. are we the losers of this? <laughs> or are we, because they, they, when you're doing something new, you don't know you're doing something new. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they so, were, I mean, Charlie Watts has always said he's a jazz drummer. I think John right? Densmore is a jazz, Ginger Baker from Cream. He, I mean, he even did drum battles with Art Blakey and Elvin Jones and, oh yeah. And those guys. Yeah. So they and all, they all you know what? thought they were jazz drummers for sure. For sure, yeah. And, you know, Cream, uh, Wheels of Fire, that is my first album that was ever... So my first fusion record was Spectrum by Billy Cobham. I mean, really, around the same time, I got... My dad gave me Wheels of Fire, and he also gave me tapes of him at the concerts because he went out uh, on, like, a three-day road trip with Cream. And so he had... (laughs) And he just stood in the crowd taping it. Um, So... I was listening to these live cream records when I was, I don't know, five or six and being told to play toad, you know? And oh, I was like, you know what, dad, I'm going to start with white room. Um, <laughs> Great cause song. I can, I can hear it. <laughs> I can hear the, and then, but it's funny when you listen to man, I, so I was listening to toad today, which is like the famous cream song that has like the 10 minute drum solo. Yeah. I was listening to it today and I thought, I wonder if this is why I became so obsessed with left foot independence because i was never hmm. even when i did jazz i never thought of it as independence it was more like this hassle like oh, you got to keep that on two and four that uh-huh. just annoys me but with with uh toad by cream he's keeping time with his left foot in a bunch of different ways but soloing over the top of it for 10 minutes yeah. and i remember yeah. when the solo would stop so he'd be going chick 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 I was like, there's no drumming. He's not even playing. There's just chick, chick, chick. And I'm in, man. And I'm like, so all I have to do is do that with my foot. And then I can finally stop playing all those notes. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, that that stuff changed my world, you know. And uh, and the fact that I'm listening to Eric Clapton on guitar and just taking it for granted. Yeah, that, exactly. That Ginger was like, hey, I got my buddy Eric. He's going to play guitar, <laughs> sing a little bit. It's going to be cool. Have you seen um, the uh, Jimi Hendrix movie that came out a couple years ago? Not the, the documentary. Jimi Hendrix one? Yeah, the actual. There's like no. a movie. A, like a, oh, like a, oh, I remember. Uh, it was Andre 3000. Yeah, that, right? he yeah. did. He did him. So he did a perfect version of Jimmy. Hendrix. Really? I never saw it. I yeah. should definitely check it out. It's not my favorite movie because they really only focused on the, the couple of weeks or so when Hendrix was you know moved to England to find his band and, and okay. kind of make his first, you know, his first push. 
And they kind of ended it before he went back to America, which I was like, come on, I want to go to Monterey, do something. Right, right, right. But there's little details in that that, uh, that I'd forgotten about because Cream was kind of like the band. They were the, the thing. And then here comes Hendrix over to England and goes in their territory right. and just blows everybody away. And, and there's a scene which actually happened where Hendrix asked, uh, I guess they shared a manager at the time. So he asked the manager if he could sit in with Cream. Really? So he went up on stage to sit in, and Clapton was so upset he just left. <laughs> he didn't even play. Oh he just walked off the stage. That's awesome. Because <laughs> Hendrix, Hendrix was just a volcano. I mean, he's my all-time favorite uh, rock guitarist, and Mitch Mitchell, in turn, has become my all-time favorite rock drummer because he was the same way, just crazy, just went for it. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't and what you would expect for someone to play behind a blues guitarist. You got this guy who's playing like. Elvin Jones with John Coltrane, but he's playing with the lead guitarist. I think that that's really, I mean, you, you kind of nailed it earlier on, but that's what made these guys so incredible is they were jazz drummers that kind of just didn't fit the mold, and they, were, they just needed to be let off the leash completely. Yeah. And rock and roll allowed them to do that, yeah. where it was like, no, we're encouraging it. You know what? Take off your shirt. Yeah, suit right. and tie. Are you nuts? <laughs> Take the whole damn thing off. Play in your underwear for all we care. Just go in. Hair, let it grow. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. the whole thing was just screw the rules. Let's go in and let's go hard. And these guys were able to take that improvisational style that they had grown up with in jazz and then have a little bit more form. So it just every time yeah. they did get color outside the lines, it was very noticeable. Uh, right, you know, yeah. Elvin's outside blues, the lines yeah. the whole damn time. Yeah. So it's like you just kind of get used to it. It's like. God, it's it's actually the opposite. When I can follow along for two bars, I'm like, all right. Yeah. Where in rock and roll, they color outside the line for two bars, and it really stands out. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think. Okay, go ahead. What are your thoughts on Keith Moon? It took me years to appreciate him. Still haven't got there yet. I yeah. just I always appreciated his showmanship, which I think is the obvious thing. But I did do that for six years of my life like constant touring and yeah. i just would see him and i, I would take influence from that um yeah. a lot of the things this stuff still comes down to do you like the music mm-hmm. i liked cream's music so i gravitated towards ginger baker i'm a huge beatles fan so i've spent half my life defending ringo yeah, okay. talk smack about ringo and we're gonna get into it you know and <laughs> um but i but i'm a beatles fan so yeah if you talk smack about Keith Moon, it's like I, I honestly was never a fan of The Who, so I don't really have the reference to defend him or or to talk smack about it. So I would say that he's in that mix of just like uh, I never got it, but I never went deep enough to try to get it. I would recommend you and everyone listening, if you haven't, uh, YouTube Keith Moon drums isolated, and you'll mm. find the mixes of just him playing. Okay, It's spectacular what he was really? doing. Yeah, it really is, because we kind of get it's easy to see his craziness and kind of recklessness on stage and overlook the fact that he's he's really kind of killing it on the drum. So to hear him isolated and, and going for takes and still sounding raw, but the pocket is is there, it's pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, there, and there's there's a ton. There's yeah, Pinball yeah. Wizard, there's, uh, there's a Who Are You, Won't Get Fooled Again, Isolated Drum Tracks. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Check those um, out. And the sounds are super cool. It sounds like they probably used two or three mics, so everything just has that kind of natural compression and, and the, you know, it's obviously a superphonic snare because it's got that classic sound right but yeah that's what did it for me when i found those i was like "Ooh, okay now i'm getting it let me listen to the records a little bit more because i always liked who's next and baba o'reilly but his drumming just didn't do it for me because it just sounded like his vocabulary was kind of simple right because uh, i was only hearing you know the, the basic figures i wasn't listening to the phrasing that he was going for right but 
now I'm I'm much more appreciative uh, the older I get with him and Mitch Mitchell as well. I used to think he was sloppy and and a not a good version of Elvin Jones, but how wrong I was. I mean, he was he created that sound out of his influence right. of Elvin Jones. But you play a Hendrix song on a gig, you can't not do the Mitch Mitchell thing. You just can't. Right. Sure. I mean, it's yeah. it, it's part of Jimi Hendrix's uh, legacy. Yeah. 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 I think. I mean, really, what it comes down to also is how many of the drummers that we currently idolize would we not have unless we had these guys? Yeah. Um, Chad Smith. Because these, yeah. uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Hawkins, probably yeah. uh, Dave Grohl, uh, you know, and, and there's, and it's funny too, because those guys influence the other guys. Uh, you know, that guy that um, is dead to us. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, his, his name rhymes with park Kuliana. So, <laughs> He he always says that Chad Smith was his favorite drummer growing up. So he's he, you know obviously yeah. he eventually found jazz drummers, but it's it's the legacy of who it influences and then who that person influences, and it just goes on and on. And so you know this definitely isn't one of my favorite genres of music, um, and it was it was handpicked for me by my dad. I was very lucky that my dad was a huge music fan and was able to give me this. But he also kind of pushed me in that fusion route, the seventies fusion route. But this this thing that happened in the late '60s, it's you know I, I look back at my life and I think like God, how much of my life wouldn't have happened without this? Because my band was that we were we were part of that or we were following in that legacy of just reckless abandon, just go for yeah, it, man, yeah. and go in and hit and swing. But you know, by the way, if you're not good at it, it's not going to pay off. But these guys were great at what they did for sure. So you yeah. guys can check out more about this in the current issue, the July issue of Modern Drummer, yep. uh, 1967, The Birth of Classic Rock Drumming, and it will lead you down a very, very cool path. You get right on. So we should probably, where are we at? We've got to, oh, we've got to thank our, our uh, show sponsor, Dream Symbols. So uh, I just want to remind everyone about their recycling program in case you missed it the first time we talked about it. So what they are doing is they're allowing you to basically take in any old broken or you know, unused symbols that you have. As long as they're made of a bronze alloy, not brass, you can take them to a local Dream dealer and they will give you $1 per inch. Uh, towards purchase of a new dream symbol, which is really cool. And what they use those recycled uh, symbols for is to make their special effects things like the crop circles. So I wanted to just drop in a little bit of audio so you can check out. The crop circle is just a round disc that you can set on a cymbal or on a snare drum. It's got some jingles on it. So it's a cool special effects uh, device, but it's it's really affordable. So uh, it's definitely worth checking out. So you're going to hear the small, I believe it's a 8-inch uh, crop circle and then the 14 inch and they're both sitting on top of a Ludwig Acrylite snare. The, the tuning is high it's you know nothing else changes so let's give those a quick listen Right now it's time to check out some more symbol stuff. So this is a company that I remember. I remember when they showed up in Sacramento because at the time there were only really three main symbol companies. There was Zildjian, Sabian, and Peisty. And at the store that I worked at, all of a sudden we got this shipment 
of what was called UFIP, and yeah. none of us knew what the heck it was, <laughs> but we knew that pricing-wise, it must be good. Yeah, uh, I'm talking, yeah. this is back in like the late 90s, <clears throat> maybe mid-90s, actually. And uh, and then we hit them, and we were like, uh, how could this just come out of nowhere? So can do you know the history of UFIP or where yeah. it came from? <clears throat> yeah, we reviewed, um, well, they've been around since 1931, believe it or not. They're an Italian symbol wow. company. Uh, but they've been around forever, and they're the way they make symbols is unique. I think to all symbol companies, they actually use a centrifuge to cast the bronze rather than you know melting it okay. and molding it down. So they're they're spinning the bronze into shape. Uh, so it creates it gives them a little bit different sound and a different profile. The bells can be thicker; they don't have to have a consistent thickness from bell to edge. They can kind of shape it a little bit more. Uh, probably everyone learned about UFIP. Or I think they actually say UFIP is how you say it. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, was Charlie Watts still uses the china that on the left side of his of his drum set? That's an UFIP china. He's used it since probably since the sixties. Wow. Uh, and they also make. I mean, they hate it when people say I only know them as the splash symbol company, but I think they make the best sounding splash symbols around. <laughs> it's just like you hit it, and like yep, that is a splash. <laughs> like, right. That is yeah. exactly what a splash is supposed to sound like. Uh, but they have a full range of, you know, I don't know how many lines, probably 10, 10 or so lines. But we checked out right. the Class Series, which is kind of their normal all-purpose symbol. And then their newer line, which is called the Vibra Series. Uh, so the Class Series is just, you're, you know, it looks like a normal, traditional, uh, finished symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vibra has like a, it's traditional finished, but then the outer edge has the brilliant edging so it looks cool and it also gives a little bit more of a brighter sound um, and both of these add quite a bit to their lineup because when i think of ufip i i think of that splash and then it grows so i still yeah. get that sound but it keeps getting bigger and bigger these reminded me a lot of if somebody loved the sound of peisty especially the vibra series they just sound clean man yeah, like yeah. these recorded really well um, they sure did and I didn't just listen to your video of it. I, I went in and checked out a bunch of different videos of different people playing them, and I was shocked at how well the Vibra series recorded. And it, it just reminded me of those kind of pie, like high-end Peisty signature series stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, but still had a little bit of that kind of, I don't know, it, it's weird because it's not a Turkish thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing, and it's like, ah, they make really good professional symbols. So yep. what what did you actually test out We got size-wise? Um, 14-inch light hi-hats, 18- and 20-inch light crashes, a 22-inch light ride, and an 18-inch fast china from the class series. They call, okay. them, they call them light, but they really, to me, they felt like medium kind of general purpose symbols. Okay. Um, so that series was kind of like the, for me, it was like, okay, I could use these on just about anything unless I needed more of a trashier, drier sound. These are kind of your right. like all-purpose, can-handle-most-gigs uh, yeah. type symbols. Um. In the Viber series, they, they sent us bigger stuff. So we got 15-inch hi-hats, 19-inch, 21-inch crashes, and a 22-inch ride as well. Uh, those those just felt more more modern, to, to use a generic term. They felt brighter, had more you know could, more aggression, uh, but still they could you could play them quietly. That's that's usually the rub when you get into a symbol for me that's good played loud. It usually sounds like a gong when you hit it quietly. But these right. kind of spoke really well at all dynamics. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I enjoyed them. I think they'd be a good option for someone who's looking for something that's not the big three, but it's still a general right. purpose professional symbol. It'll last you, you know, your whole lifetime if you take care of it. 
uh, and, and it's just it's cool that they're they have their own way. You know, I want to make sure that I agree that we don't overlook that this is a this is a company that's been doing symbol making their way for you know since 1931, which is pretty cool. So now, what are we going to hear in this example that you have? The first clip is the class series, I believe. Nope, first clip is the Viber series, and then okay after that, you'll hear the class series. Awesome. You know, when I listen to those, what I think about right off the bat is they've been doing that forever, right? Yeah. I I think we're right around the corner from that becoming the new sound again for yeah. the 20th time <laughs> since they started making symbols. Because even if you look at some of the companies that are making the more trashy Turkish things, they're also pushing like, hey, just so you know, we make beautiful things because yeah. <laughs> you can only be dirty and nasty for so long. That's true. I don't even know what that means. Um, but, you can, you know, at some point, you got to wash your hands and these just these are just clean, beautiful symbols. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what happened in that session I was in last week where I took all these funky, I thought it would be real personality heavy symbols and, and I needed to just use regular symbols. <laughs> they right. just needed yeah. to sound like yeah. symbols. Like symbols. <laughs> I, I actually, it's funny, when I was on um, UFIP's website, I was really a fan of um, the Vibra series and then listening to you play them, I think the class series was my jam. It, it, yeah. Those would be, like you said, the those would it would be great to have a bag that just, is that my studio? And when I need to play symbol symbols, boom, I just grab uh, those. Yep. No, real quick, on the class series, I, I don't have a reference in front of me. Affordable? Are they high-end? All, the, all their stuff the is professional. I don't think they have any entry-level stuff, but it, you know, it's comparable to every, every other professional. Everybody else is high-end symbols. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Perfect. Uh, well, yeah, definitely check that out. And uh, their website, guys, if you want to check it out, is literally just UFIP. Dot it. Um, so just check that out, and you will be set to go. So all right, all so right. We've got audio questions. So let's just dive right in. I don't even. I didn't even listen to them ahead of time. So we're going to go with number one. I don't know who it's from. Hopefully they introduce themselves. <laughs> and go. hey, Mike and Mike, it's John in Wichita. Hey, thanks for the podcast. Love it. Can't wait for it each week. You guys rock. My question is, what songs do you think a developing drummer absolutely must learn how to play 
You know, ideas that come to mind are Rosanna, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, Sing, 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 Beat It, songs like that. What else, what other ideas do you guys have for songs that developing drummers absolutely must learn how to play? Thanks. See ya. Uh, yeah, what a tough question to answer. Yeah, I, mean, I think we can kind of go along with what we were talking about earlier. Like, you kind of have to know the classic rock song books. I think, you know, the Beatles hits, the Hendrix hits, the you know cream sunshine of your love like the hits of all these bands are pretty crucial i think it's funny that he he chose the ones that are probably the least required like the amount of times i've had to play rosanna on a on a bar gig is zero (laughs) never yeah Yeah. no i mean it's great for drummers to to practice that but you know it's funny i would say one of the songs that used to trip me up on gigs because i just almost refused to learn it but it kept coming up like every singer wanted to sing it was um don't stop believing by journey oh yeah yeah, and they just assumed since i was a drummer it's like well i'm sure you know this and it's like (laughs) yeah i don't think i do man because every time i've seen somebody play it i always every time i see somebody play it i go that's a cool drum part (laughs) you know and then eventually you have to learn it uh i so yeah i think there were it's funny man like Rosanna never made it into the mix for my cover gigs, but for some reason, especially when I was doing like bar gig cover or not bar gigs, uh, like wedding stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, this is like in the like late eighties, early nineties. I was still kind of a kid or late teens. It was a lot of like Fleetwood Mac stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, I just was like, you know, um, thunder by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember being like, wow, I got to learn this. Okay. Yeah. So, but the cool thing is you find songs that teach you something. You know, yeah. I, I learned how to play in five by learning seven days by sting. Uh, yeah. Now I never learned the drum part. I still can't play the drum part, but I, as far as the end, but I learned, Oh, okay. That's a feel. Um, there's a song called dreaming and metaphors by seal. And it taught me how to play in seven and, mm. Um, or the break in Tom Sawyer. You know, there's there's things where it's like, okay, I didn't learn this song. I learned a thing because of this song. Yeah, um, yeah. Quarter note rock beats. You ever play? Uh, um, what's the famous Twisted Sister song? Um, we're, we're not, not going to take, take it? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one, no one that starts playing drums could imagine that a quarter note is four thousand times harder than eighth note. <laughs> when you try to put that bass drum in random places while playing a quarter note on your right hand, you're like, oh, this is hella hard. Well, yeah, so true. you know, because you're used to playing eights, and with eights. The kick can only go with or in between. That's its only options yeah. in rock. And then you put in a quarter note, and it's got all this space. So, you know, I didn't learn We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. I learned a quarter note rock beat on a cowbell. Um, yeah, well, I think that brings up the point of what do, you, what do you mean by it has to learn? If you have to learn the technique to be able to play it, that's one thing. But right. if it's what songs you have to learn, I think you have to – I'm sure you can Google, you know, top 50 – cover band songs uh, you know or whatever and right. those are the songs you should learn if that's what you want to do if you want to be a gigging working cover band mm-hmm. wedding band drummer in every city yeah. every region is going to have their different selection of tunes um, sure <laughs> so we could go on forever about like you know what you know who should see you i study, think of it's but, more for me at least i always saw it as each song unlocked a door for 20 other songs yeah true when i learned uh little surfer girl by beach boys it unlocked 50 songs for me 
that yeah. had that same type of feel. Um, so, so yeah, I think it, it just depends on what you're doing. Gigging drummer, that's a totally different thing, and that's always going to be changing by whatever the top 50 songs are at the time. You yeah, know? exactly. I'm sure some dude in his 60s that's been doing cover gigs forever was a little bum the day he had to learn Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas. But it's like, <laughs> sorry, bro, it's a hit. You got, you got, you and your uh, like that wedding band are going to have to learn this song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for me to, to wrap it up, I would say Rich Redman has a great presentation on what he calls the money beats so it's, yeah, i think it's course. four or five like the foundation beats that hundreds of hit songs have been written on so i think if you start there which are the barebone basics that that's the essential then we get into this drummer fun stuff and taste so the other so i would say check out rich's his money beats and also i think it's still on moderndrummer.com there's the 50 greatest drummers of all time feature story we did okay and in that there's key tracks for each drummer so that would be a good kind of repertoire to kind of work through there you go all right well let's uh get another question in this one is about symbol theory hey what's going on mike and mike this is morgan and uh sort of redoing my recording setup a little bit here and it occurs to me that i can't ever remember specifically reading about or hearing a discussion about symbol placement theory so to speak meaning i'm recording with this drum set and i've got i think i'm using about a five cymbal setup i guess if you take the hi-hats out it's a four cymbal setup and i'm thinking you know i can put a 16 inch crash to my left or i could put a 16 inch crash to the right of the ride and i'm trying to like think in my head the logic behind the placement and i can't come up with any really good answers other than the distance from certain places to the cymbal from the farthest floor tom back over to the cymbal it's a uh, five-piece setup, two down, one up. And so i just love to hear any general discussion about theory behind placing symbols. Um, I think I've just been doing it kind of arbitrarily all this time, and as I'm trying to refine just little nuances here and there in my approach, that would be a good discussion to just hear you guys talk about. So uh, thank you in advance, and uh, appreciate what you're doing still. Thanks. I'm, I'm like, glowing with this drum nerd talk. <laughs> no, I mean, no weather at all if, today. <laughs> yeah, if you just let any non-drummer, male, female, listen to that question, they'd be like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> it's like, yes, drum nerds, I love it. I, I, Morgan's a good friend. He uh, came to camp years and years ago. He actually owns, you know my black DW with the maple stripe in the middle? Oh, uh, yeah, so when I played, he owns I that. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he, uh, you know, when I left DW, they were kind enough to let me sell my drums for what I paid for them. So there was no profit, but I was able to make yeah. sure they had a good home, and he owns that one. Uh, so uh, Morgan's a great guy, killer player too, really great feel, very Mitch Mitchell actually. So do you have any theory on that? I- I've It's honestly never even occurred to me. I've always set up my kit in the most comfortable way possible and then mic'd around how I set it up. I guess early on I, I read a story with Rod Morgenstein, and that's one of the things he talked about was if you're recording, get the cymbals higher than you probably would really? think to get them away okay. from the microphone. So I just kind of adopted that as just my general setup. Like I don't have the cymbals, unless I'm playing a jazz gig or if I'm playing like on my big 26-inch bass drum, the, the cymbals are probably a good foot away from the drums. And that's to prevent maybe the the crash on your left from bleeding into the rack tom mic is yeah, that what you're saying that okay. and it just gives me like the overheads just have a little bit more more separation okay and also physically i don't like the idea i don't like the way it 
feels to have a cymbal super low where I'm kind of like punching into the the tom area. I don't I don't like that. I'd rather have a yeah. little bit more reach. So I have thought about it largely because of that kind of sticking in my brain. Like make the engineers happy, get the cymbals out of the way. Okay. Give yourself more control, and it, it works for me. I don't go crazy. Nothing's extended as high as it can go, or anything like that. But and then, as far as what he was talking about, the left and the right of the kit. If you were going to add a symbol, would you add it to where you would hit it more, and it'd be more comfortable for you, or would you think of like the miking? It's important to think about it because when I do these demos of like like six crash symbols, if someone sends uh-huh. me, and I set them all yeah. up because I want to hit them all at once, the ones in the middle are louder, so they sound better and more prominent in the recording. Oh, okay. So that's generally why the ride symbol should be in the center of the kit. But yeah, I'd, I'd try not to put a crash right on, over the middle of the kit. That's okay because it just it just dominates, and then you're having to hit it quieter to compensate, and it kind of screws mm-hmm. you up. So that's about as far as I go. Usually, it's kind of equal distance. I try to make sure they're the same height, so there's no yeah. volume difference just from the distance. That's a big thing that people probably don't realize is that height is. And when I say height, I mean, we're talking less, you know, it could be seven or eight inches is a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, my rack tom is so much more prominent with my one overhead mix than my floor tom. Yeah. And, you know, I really have to lay into my floor tom and back off on my rack tom. And it's only, God, it's like maybe a foot at the most higher. Yeah. But it's a, a big, big deal. Yeah. So very cool. All right. Well, uh, Morgan, I think the key is what we've always preached, which is just keep trying stuff out until you tell it sounds good, man. Mm, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get to our last and third question. Mike and Mike. Thank you guys so much for the podcast. When I discovered it about six or eight months ago, I actually went back and listened to every single episode in reverse. And it was really cool to hear the progression and where you, where you guys are now. My question in episode 94, you guys were talking about the huge difference, the huge impact that it has when you're standing next to a drummer and he's playing or you're close to a drummer and feeling the air move and watching them play in person versus watching something on YouTube. One of the most important parts of my education growing up was going to drum clinics with Simon Phillips and Rod Morgenstein and Billy Cobham and Nico McBrain and just some of the great drummers. And I wondered why there isn't a place online that has a list of all the drum clinics going on at any given time. When I try to tell my students about drum clinics or look for drum clinics myself, I have a difficult time finding out about them. I wonder if Modern Drummer and this podcast might be the place that all the manufacturers could simply send you guys a link to their calendar and and if it could be listed at moderndrummer.com. I know you have something like this already, but I feel like it's only a small sampling of what's actually going on in the drum clinic world. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks again. All right. So I'm going to give you the clinician's perspective since I'm currently doing this stuff right now. And then you give me the modern drummer perspective. Okay. Sound All right. Good? All right. Sounds good. Okay. First off, you would not believe how disorganized this world is of drum <laughs> clinics and how how bro deal it is. Uh, there's I have a clinic. I have like two or three clinics coming up in Singapore that are booked. I don't know who's bringing me in, and we haven't been able to get flight information on these clinics that are that have dates. And it's it's crazy. Uh, mm. I was also told by uh, my friend in China. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know I set up five dates for you in January. Didn't clear them with me. He just booked them. Oh, and I was like, right. wait, what? No, you can't do that. <laughs> so that's, you know, and 
So a lot of times these clinics, you're very confused as the clinician. What is my role here? Am I supposed to be promoting this or are you promoting this? And it it's really hard to get it all worked out. Um, I can tell you this. I think we were a little dead in clinics for a while because you had old shop owners that didn't understand how to use social media and they were bringing in old clinicians that didn't know how to use social media. So neither of them promoted properly. The clinic, like you said, you couldn't find out about it. You always found out afterwards, like, what do you mean Nico McBrain was here? And it's like, well, Nico didn't tell you and the shop didn't tell you. Mm -hmm. Well, now with Guys like Shane at uh, Drum Center of Portsmouth and uh, just did a clinic at Dubs in uh, Dublin, California. These are young shop owners that are bringing in young drummers. And so you've got the shop owner knows how to promote and how to get the word out. And you've got the drummer who knows how to get the word out. So I think we are just about to enter a golden age of clinics where they come back and the shop owner is promoting and the drummer's promoting and everybody finds out about it. But you just need to understand how non-organized this stuff really is. It's very and it can be very last minute. And yeah. um and sometimes honestly the drummer doesn't even know where they're going. If you have like an older cat where you're just bringing in random pro drummer guy, he's just told like, "Hey, you're in Missouri tomorrow." And that's all the information he has. Yeah. And he, and and a handler picks him up at the airport. They take him to the thing. He expects it to be sold out. There's 11 people there. He rips a solo, leaves and never mentions it on social media. You don't even <laughs> yeah. know what happened. So it's it's not as easy as you would think. Yeah, and that's kind of my answer because you're dealing with, I mean, how many drum companies are there? How many cymbal companies are there? How many accessory right. companies are there? How many independent drummers are there that are doing drum clinics? And for us to coordinate that, it would we we used to be, try to do that, and it it became too much of a job for what it's for what return was, and things would get canceled, and we'd have to update the website. So, I think in theory it'd be amazing, and if if we can somehow make it happen, we would absolutely love to provide that service. But it's you're right. dealing with dozens of A and R reps and mm-hmm. their schedules and conf- you know who's who well, to confirm with. So it's just it's a big job. I, um, I think probably your best bet is to make sure you know the local drum clinic hub in your area that you're yes. you're on their schedule. Make sure you follow your favorite drummers on social media. I mean, there's some yeah. like tour like when Keith Carlock does a clinic tour, it's a it's a full on deal. It's locked in. When Steve Gadd does a clinic tour, we know about it six months ahead right. of time. But it's not always yeah. like that. It's not always that easy. And I mean, like I said, it comes down to the shop owner. Uh, there's just certain shop owners that. They're like, well, we sent out our email. And it's like, your e- what the hell? I've been spamming you for four years. What do you mean you sent out your email? Like, why didn't you update your Facebook page? Why didn't you update yeah. your Instagram post? So it, it's, it, it can be a little weird. But like I said, you know, you look at guys like Dana Bentley. That I've done three clinics there at Bentley's Drum Shop. He's had JoJo, Keith Carlock, Benny. He's had everybody. Yeah. They're always sold out because he's in great communication with his customer base. So it really comes down to the store owner more than anybody being in connection. The last clinic I did at Dubs sold out before I even had a chance to mention it because the store owner is in such great connection with his customer base. And, you know, so every clinic he does is going to sell out because his customers know that he puts on quality education, brings in the great clinicians, and they just show up. So I would say, if anything, just go to your, like Mike said, find your local hub and then also ask that store owner, hey, let us know, man. The people are here. We want to show up. We just don't know what's happening. 
So, but it's going to get better. Honestly, it's going to get better because you have new shop owners, younger guys that are more hip to social media that know how to promote and know how to keep people in the loop. So, all right, guys, keep sending your questions in. We have more audio questions to get to, and we'll get to some of those next week. You can send those to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And we always appreciate it. And by the way, for all of you guys that thanked us for the podcast, it, please don't think we gloss over that. That really means a lot to us that you guys even enjoy this thing. So, yeah. All right. Let's get into Picks of the Week. I'm calling an audible on mine. Um, Shut I'll, up. I'll save my original one for next week. But I don't know what prompted me, but uh, there was a, a video that Chuck Silverman put out in the 90s okay. that was a it was like a bootleg kind of black market video where he went to cuba and filmed yeah. all these drum set players who this was in the 90s so since then they've all kind of gone international and become you know their own famous in their own way but there's a clip on youtube because i don't think this video exists in its entirety anywhere if someone has a copy i would love to get a copy but there's some chunks of it on youtube and the one raul raul pineda was the one that blew me because Jimmy Brandley's also on there. He's yep. also amazing. But Raul Pineda, he does a segment where he shows you uh, bata rhythms and then okay. applies them to the drum set. And I'd forgotten how many hours I'd spent being completely confused about what the heck he was doing. And then I also forgot how much that shaped my approach to improvisation with phrasing and stuff. So if you look up Raul Pineda, I don't know how to pronounce the the word but it's i-y-e-s-a iesa okay that's him giving a you know demonstrating the, the traditional bata part and then he goes to the drum set and applies it <clears throat> in an improv and he starts playing left foot clave while he's soloing mm-hmm. over top of it but the the crucial phrasing part that i did not get until very recently was he's which is this is definitely a cuban drumming thing where they <clears throat> excuse me they can morph from the 16th note clave to the 6-8 clave at will so ah. the clave phrasing itself is never straight sixteenths. It's never straight triplets. It's always back and forth. Wow. So when he's improvising, you're like, what is happening? What is going on? Is he playing triplets? Is he playing sixteenth notes? So it's this real kind of magical bit. Uh, Raul Pineda, Iesa. Yeah. Definitely and it's got, it it's got subtitles so you can understand everything. Yeah, it's amazing. It changed. It definitely changed my world when I got that. I feel like I had some like secret code of of Afro Cuban drumming when I got that video. Oh, that's really cool. I, I've got it pulled up right now, and I will check it out. By the way, I have watched that David Desenzo stuff over and over <laughs> and over. So good. Do you know that I can't say sixteenth uh, notes anymore without becoming Dave Desenzo? I literally go one yanda, two yanda, <laughs> like. His, it is so infectious, man. But then he plays, and I'm like, "Damn!" Like <laughs> yeah. his his ability to play any figure anywhere in the yeah. time is it's unbelievable, man. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. I, I'm just happy I finally got to see him teach because, as you know, I've watched his solo on Modern Drummer a billion times. So to yeah. finally see him teach and hear him break it down, uh, so yeah, I appreciate the tip to that and i can't wait to watch this so raul pineda uh yes uh all right we'll check it out my pick of the week this time is something probably most of you have access to right now and maybe you just haven't checked in on it in a while but uh it's the garage band app for ipad and for iphone oh, yeah. man talk about some serious serious uh i don't even know what to say like th- there's so much quality in that app for anything you could ever want to do um, is it free now uh let me check i think it was five bucks when i got it but i think it's free yeah i think it's free and 
I mean, I'm talking like really good synths that you could you could and you can record anything you want. Yeah. But what I felt, what I got the most out of it was the loops. It's got a huge loop station in there mm-hmm. of, and they're using the Nord keyboard and everything and yeah. uh, the the old uh, was the IMPC or uh, what's the old uh, uh, Korg drum module. Oh, I don't remember um, what it's called. The or MPC. Yeah. Um, but anyways, they're using all this stuff, and you can mute any of the tracks, and it's already done for you. So even if you're like somebody where you're like I, I can't write music, they already did it, and they're just great loops. You can affect the loops, you can slow them down, speed them up, and if you need something to jam with, it's not a full play along track, but you just need a loop to put you in a sense of time. I played with this thing for probably three straight hours last night. Um, and and it was so great. And once you find a cool keyboard loop, then do what Dawson does. Like just press the record button, play a little rhythm on the rim, and then just affect the hell out of it. And it goes watch exactly. And and it's so dope. So I, I used this all last night, and it's probably going to become my number one practice tool for quite a while to allow me to say, okay, I've I've put in the time learning my vocabulary. Now let me apply it to some sort of musical context. But maybe this might be that bridge before you're playing it with an actual band. Uh, if you're working on a new lick, new chop, a new groove, this is before you're playing it with a band and scaring yourself live, or trying it with a play along song. And you're having to wait 64 bars before that little break to get in your lick. This would be that good bridge between those two. Um, so I'd say this is in between a metronome and an actual live gig. This is yeah. a great practice tool. So Sweet. Check oh, we, have it to, out. we have to pick a word of the week for the contest. What's Ooh, it going to be? Doggies. Uh, how about doggies? <laughs> doggies? Yeah. <laughs> All right. The forbidden uh, term dog. Oh okay. yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> perfect. This is the last time we but it's not dogs, it's doggies. Doggies. How yeah. we all spell it? D O G G I E S. I E S, yeah. So that's your word of the week for the hundredth uh, episode giveaway. So email that word, doggies, to mod- uh, info <laughs> at moderndrummer.com and that'll put you in the poll. We'll be drawing three winners uh, in three weeks on the episode one hundred. Boom. That'll be awesome. All right, buddy. We'll have a... Man, we get we went extended on this one. I know. What and, no, and no weather. Jeez. Jeez, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to tell you it's raining today. In fact, no. All right. Everyone, have a fantastic week. We will see you next time. See you later. later.